To end the series about actors of VE Day, I wish to include a flamboyant figure away from government and politics, someone who we cannot really define into a single case, someone whose life seems to come out of a book, but whose life optimises the hero of that time and who definitely deserves this place in the Elysian fields of the underworld. He was one of these few heroic pioneer pilots flying into uncharted skies in dramatic storms. He was a resistance during the Second World War, trying to gain American support for the French resistance against the Nazi occupation. But most importantly for us, he was a writer taking us into a fragile cockpit to gaze at the stars and the immensity of the sky at, the t- at a time when most could not even imagine an airplane or flight. He was a humanist eager to connect. If you can still not figure out who he is, then I need to tell you that he was also a true poet and wrote one of the most marvellous children's books, The Little Prince, which also connects even serious grown-ups into their hidden childhood soul. This extraordinary man is Antoine Saint-Exupéry. Thank you, Mr. Leconte uh, Saint-Exupéry, to have accepted to talk to us from your tomb, but we did have a problem to locate you in the underworld as you have disappeared during a recognition flight during the Second World War. For a pilot, there is no better way than to vanish in thin air with your beloved plane. I have disappeared while accomplishing a recognition flight. The remnants of a corpse in France's pilot uniform were found by a fisherman in September 1944 and buried in the cemetery of Casa and has named the writer's grave but no authentication was ever made, so my death is still a mystery. I could not have wished a better end than to mirror the end of my little dear prince. Just like him, I just vanished. You had a most extraordinary life. You were a pioneering pilot, tracing new air routes, exploring the sky. There is nothing more intoxicating and more exhilarating than to be alone in the immensity of the sky. Words, my words, can barely describe the incredible peace I could feel in the worst storm. To quote, you, I can read an extract of your second book, Night Flight, and now a wonder seized him, dazzled by that brightness. He had to keep his eyes closed for some seconds. He had never dreamt the night clouds so it could dazzle thus. But the full moon and all the constellations were changing them to light. In a flash, the very instant he had risen clear, the pilot found a piece that passed his understanding. Not a ripple tilted the plane, but like a ship that was crossed the bar. It moved within a tranquil anarchage. In an unknown secret corner of the sky, it floated as in a harbour of happy isles. When you're in a plane, you look at the bright stars, but you're also moved by the timid lights of human settlements in the immense darkness. You feel an incredible, overwhelming connection to these people, unknown people, just because they are humans. Up there, alone in our cockpit. We feel such a closeness with these strangers. I've really tried to convey this feeling in my book, Wind, Sand and Stars. In reflection, the French title of the book is more appropriate. It's called Terre des Hommes, the land of mankind. When you fly over there, there's no country, no frontier, but a land to share. I was so fortunate to fly over Africa, over the extraordinary expanse of the Sahara Desert, over South America, crossing the monstrous barriers of the Andes. You wrote something that I found quite striking. If you don't agree with me, you are in fact making me better and you are enabling me to grow to understand better. When you think about it, people who think differently from you, who are broadening your perception, not people who share your opinions. 
It's the confrontation of ideas, of values, which enable us to grow up, think out the box, and even more importantly, to make concessions in order to find a common ground. At one point of my career, I was in charge for negotiating the safe return of downed French pilots who had been taken by the Saharan tribes. We negotiate, but it is essential to put yourself in the shoes of the opponent, to understand what is he willing to accept and what he won't be able to do. A good negotiation is a compromise from both protagonists. But how could you face the continuous dangers, especially after you had survived quite a number of crashes? At that time, there was no GPS, no satellite, no fire brigade at every airport, and very few airports and land, land stripes. I cannot imagine how you had the courage to go into the unknown with no support at all. Well, it was certainly a time when a pilot had to know in intimidated these plane. A pilot had to be a mechanic, as so many times he'd have to fix himself his plane to go on. It was also a time when a pilot had to know the stars, just like an ancient navigator to guide himself in the darkness of the night. I was so grateful and joyful to have survived the crash. But also we, the pilots, shared the conviction that our mission was more important than our individual selves. We all felt free, but at the same time, we're burdened by the responsibility of the mail we are carrying. The love letters, but also the sweet consolation of a mother, the words of support of a father to a son. I could not help but imagine their voices in the turbulence of the terrible storms that we had to cross. Did you really crash in the Sahara Desert like the Little Prince? Yes, on 30th December 1935, at 2.45am precisely, after 19 hours and 44 minutes in the air, I crashed my mechanic navigator, Andrew Privet, in the Libyan desert during an attempt to break the speed record in a Paris to Sion air race. We both miraculously survived the crash, but nearly succumbed to rapid dehydration in the intense desert heat. Our maps were quite primitive, and we had no idea we were among the sand dunes. Our sole supply consisted of some grapes, two oranges, a madeleine, a pint of coffee in an old thermos, and a half pint of white wine in another. Quite tragically, we only had one day's worth of fluids. We both saw mirages and experienced unplanned auditory hallucinations. By the second and third day, we were so dehydrated that we were stopped sweating. On the fourth day, miraculously, a wandering Bedouin on a camel discovered us and administratively a native rehydration treatment that saved our lives. This native experience must have been terrifying. Your most traumatic experience? It must have been terrifying. Not really. In reality, the most terrible crash was not mine, but the one of my dear friend, Henry Ulamir, who was most suddenly the best of all the pilots of us. All, he was much better than I was. Still on Friday 13 June... 1930, while crossing the Andes for the 92nd time carrying the mail between Argentina and Chile, he crashed because of a terrible storm. He survived into something so extraordinary, so incredible, with only his light coat and his polished shoes. He walked for a week over three mountain passes, though continuously tempted to give up as the pain of the cold and the hunger was so excruciating. He carried on, and thinking of his wife, Noel, until June 19, at dawn, he was finally rescued by a 14-year-old boy named Juan Garcia. I alerted him, I immediately came to find him, and he confessed to me. Ce que j'ai fait, je te le jure, aucun bête ne l'aurait fait. What I have done, I swear to you, no animal would have done. I have never been so impressed. I tell his extraordinary story in my book of the wind, sand and stars to acknowledge that there is nothing more powerful than the human determination. What kind of pilot were you? 
Your friends, who are all extraordinary pilots and heroes, such as Jean Menroz or Henry Gulliant, all said that sometimes you could be irritating. Oh, I know. They must have been referring to my habit of reading and writing while flying. One, on one flight, to the reiteration of my friends and colleagues awaiting for my arrival, I circled the airport for an hour after returning so that I could finish reading a novel. I always flew with a lined notebook during my very, very long solitary flights, and some of my best writing was created in my cockpit, with an extraordinary views on the world below. Is it true that the little prince was inspired by your brother who died young? I have always drawn inspiration for my life, my own childhood, my family, my friends, my encounters. It is true my brother and I had golden curly hair. I also remember meeting a precocious eight-year-old with curly blonde hair who was the child of a friend. The little prince's reassurance to the pilot that the prince's body is only an empty shell resembles the last words of the poor beloved younger brother Francois, who told me from his deathbed, Don't worry, I'm all right. I can't help it. It's my body. The pain of the loss, just like the one felt by the narrator, is always there in my heart. How do you see our present world with the spectacular progress of aviation and the new space exploration? I'm saddened by the views of today. You can't even imagine now the extraordinary beauty of the world from my cockpit flying at a low altitude. The African savannah, the majestic Andes, but also the beautiness and the quietness of French Riviera. Now all I see is concrete, overcrowded environment, pollution. In less than a century, our planet has been so wounded, so disfigured, so hurt. It makes me terribly sad. Would you have a last advice for us, the children of t- for the children of today? My advice would be identical to the ones I used to give you. Let your dreams devour your life so your life won't devour your dream. I believe that too many people forget their childhood dream and passion when they grow up. It's tragic. Thank you so much, Mrs. Saint-Exupéry, for accepting to talk to us. That was Live from the Underworld. Stay tuned and stay safe.